Welcome to episode number 15 of the Zach Kuhn Show. Here we go. My guests today, plural, are Eric Nelson and Gian Perugini, the founders of FanFlex. Here's the deal. Club shows are off. All shows are off. Everybody knows it. And when they return, we're not going to be in massive arenas and stadiums. We're going to be back in the clubs. And the club scene is desperate for disruption for a ton of reasons that we get into in this episode. But essentially, FanFlex is changing the way clubs and artists book shows. And as we start to open up clubs again slowly, whenever that is, FanFlex is going to be critical for this process, I promise you. Okay, I, I don't want to give too much of this away. I'll let them tell it. Let's dive in. Yeah, awesome. I, I listened listen to uh, the Beat That uh, podcast. Uh, we, we love those guys. And uh, so, I mean, it was a really well done thing. So, really excited to be part of this. Awesome. Yeah, the, those guys are great. They're awesome. Yeah, they're they're brilliant guys. We're, uh, you know, we were, we met them at. I was going to say, were you guys in the program at the same time together? Yes. That's right. Yeah. Okay. That's and so good. Out of, uh, there's a few companies that kind of stick out. And you, it's, it's almost like high school that you click up over there and you, you know, and you spit ideas to each other and end up hanging out with some people more than the others. And they're one of the guys that we, uh, we found really interesting and love hanging out with. Totally. So if there is a startup rivalry and you're checking off different boxes, you've checked off my show now. So it's neck and neck with Beat Dap and, and FanFlex. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, but, you know, I, I listened to their podcast and they said, like, you're only as good as your last haircut. And I'm all like, it's the lockdown. My hair is like a mess. I know, <laughs> that's discouraging. Yeah, well, then, like, yeah, Eric's chick has been cutting his hair and I'm jealous. My girlfriend doesn't have those skills. Oh, like, my God. Eric's, Eric's looking fresh all the time. I'm like, I'm growing, you know, it's funny because I had really long hair. When yeah. I was in high school, I played guitar in bands and I had really long hair and I cut it in college and I've had short hair since. And now I'm like, this is my one opportunity to grow my hair out again because I'm never going to have long hair beyond this. So it's like, we're, we're just letting it go. Free flag. Good flag. It's yeah. all good. <laughs> so one of the things that I think is really cool about FanFlex is it does something that I think is, is the most important things, thing for bands to figure out, which is how do you turn your fans into soldiers? How do you have your fans working for you to spread the word and promote your band? Because they're the ones who, when they get excited about a band, they go off and tell all their friends. So FanFlex gives this amazing incentive for them to buy a ticket and then to also spread the word so the show becomes reality, so they can actually go see their band. How does this product work from the fan perspective in that way? That, to me, that's what's so, ex one of the things that's so exciting about this product is that you're able to tap into your fans in a different way and engage them in a way that's a little bit unique, right? So, I mean, we feel very strongly that, you know, in this new world with digital uh, and, you know, streaming and everything else going on, that there's a disconnect between how many YouTube plays you have how many Spotify spins you have, how many Instagram followers you have, and what you could actually do live. You know, um, there's a, you could have a million followers on, on YouTube, subscribers, and only pull two people into a show. So what we really strongly believe in is how do we turn online fans into live paying fans? Because as you said, those are your soldiers. Those are the ones that actually make you the most money. And that's actually how you really grow your career 
is by playing live, getting in front of people. That's how you hone your craft. That's how you figure out what songs should go on the next record or, you know, and stuff like that. And so how do we get those fans to actually buy tickets is we've created a platform that allows for direct fan to band payments. Okay. So, you know, going from different perspectives of how our platform works, the, the fan side of it's pretty straightforward. It's I'm paying $5, $10, $20 for this ticket. And I'm confident that 100% of that money is going to the band I want to go see. Okay. And from the, artist and venue perspective of that is you know typically when you had an artist doing shows and it's a $20 cover right well, that $20 cover gets split then you take promoter take divided by the five bands that are playing so when you're a fan and paying $20 to see your friend's band play you actually are only giving them maybe a few bucks okay so now there's a, a fan incentive um, and beyond that uh, a unique thing that we're doing with the the music industry in general is this kind of flex ticketing where bands from FanFlex that are playing shows can set their ticket price. Okay, so now if I'm a beginning band and you know, and I had this problem in high school, right? Trying to play the whiskey a go-go, and they're like, it's a $20 ticket. And we're like, I'm 16, I don't have $20, you know. So you may be only worth a five dollar show, and you're getting priced out by you know pay to play systems or priced out by cover charges at venues that aren't right for you and in the end the venue just wants people in the door buying food and drink right so we totally created that unique relationship between the venue and the artist and the fan to allow for all of this to happen okay so that's the end drive of it go ahead john right. so you know what we figured out is that it's two sides of the same coin. So it's either the venue takes all the risk on, on the artists or the artist takes all the, all the risk as far as selling tickets. And, you know, on the venue side, which is where I come from, uh, you know, we're used to, you know, paying a few hundred bucks for some artists to come in and we don't know who they're bringing in, if any, and most of the time it was nobody. And you'd get an empty room or you'd get some background music and that was great. And the artists got paid and that was great for them, but it wasn't really great for us because we we're giving them drink tickets. And basically we'd be making the same amount as if we, you know, just turned on the radio that night. Now on that other side, on the pay to play model, like Eric just mentioned, it was, you know, you're handed a handful of tickets and if you can't sell them, then now you're, you're playing to perform and you're out of pocket and you know, the venue's getting, of the benefit of those tickets that you did sell obviously and your music so this way was a way to mitigate that risk and, and spread it out across both parties and everyone comes up a winner totally and i, I book in nashville a ton of shows when we're not in COVID times yeah. and and for me i i work with a ton of bands i book a, and a ton of venues i book a ton of shows and i feel especially when i'm doing a bigger show like the night before or, the, or a couple days before I always feel like sick in my stomach feeling like, is this going to work? <laughs> like, are people going to come to this show? Because there's, I feel a responsibility to the bands, to the venues, to the people who buy tickets to come and make sure it's a good night. It, 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 there's so much pressure from the promoter side to actually ensure that it's going to be a great event. Does, now, does this app, does this act sort of act as a middle promoter in a weird way or can a promoter come in and, still use this to ensure success for their events? 
Yeah, so we don't, the beauty of FanFlex also is we're not taking away any jobs or, um, you know, changing really how things work. What we are changing though is how the money is exchanged hands and the order of that exchange. So if I'm a promoter, I still want to curate my night. I still want to book that headliner that I know is awesome and I need to get that music out because they're awesome, right? Totally. There's that passion of the music business that, that always will be there. Now, there's the economics of it. This one band may or may not sell out the place. So I may have other time slots on that night, right? And I could put one or two of those time slots on the FanFlex and go, hey, if you're a FanFlex artist and you could bring bodies in the door through the app, right? Because our app sets a threshold and that artist gets to keep all the money, but it's still a threshold that they got to meet to prove that they're hustling, then so be it. Come and, come and play. You fit the genre that we're trying to do. You fit the night. You're playing at 8 o'clock. My headliner's playing at midnight, so it's a four-hour difference anyways. So it's not really going to affect much of anything except the venue's happy. You're happy that more bodies got to the door. The venue's happy more people bought drinks and food. And it's a win for the artists because they got to play maybe on a bigger bill than they were going to play. They got into a venue that they weren't traditionally going to maybe get into. And it's all driven by, you know, side tangent. My first internship when I was uh, 21 was in New York City, Sony Music. I was an A&R little intern scout, finding new music, right? I found a bunch of great bands. Sony didn't sign them. They, I found bands that weren't so great. Some of them they signed, right? And I never knew the rhyme or reason, right? And I'm not... Fanflex is designed to not decide if you're good or if you're not, right? You know, if I don't like a style of music, that's on me. But if you have fans that want to see you, and my favorite example is, which I want to book for my 40th birthday, by the way, is Metalachi. It's a, it's a mariachi band in LA that does like Metallica and like Slayer, and, but in mariachi, you know? And, oh, amazing. Yeah, I need to right. hear. You still haven't given me a sample. I need to look them up. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's amazing, but like taking a risk on that band without knowing it would be, it's a big risk. You're like, I don't know if I could book a thousand person. But with FanFlex, whatever that niche is that you are and people are willing to go see you, then your hustle is, is, is all you and you deserve A, that money and B, that opportunity. And who are we to say to put a gate on your, you know, your path forward? So we believe in that, that creating a platform and an environment where you as a musician, you know, and we have like coffee shops where it's just like bring five people. And if you're a new musician, you can bring your mom, girlfriend, cousin, you know, little brother. You can get those five people. And that's how you start growing your career. And along the way, by sending your fans through FanFlex, you're now collecting that fan data which you didn't have when you played that free show, which you didn't have when you did totally. a cash cover, you know, you have the analytics. Okay, wait, so, so talk about that data for a minute because that's another piece that's super fascinating. What are you able to collect and then, and then how do you leverage that data for, you know, for booking another show or a bigger show? Or what, what do you do with that information as an artist? Yeah, so you're familiar with Polestar, right? Of course, yeah, yeah. So Polestar works if you're 
big artists doing national tours, right? Because artists are reporting their data, venues are reporting their data, but you know, Joe's Tavern down the street that holds 50 people dive bar with a stage in the corner doesn't report their data. The bands that play there don't report the data, right? And you end up, you know, and John could attest with his like security guy at the front door taking chicken scratches and going, yeah, man, you brought 10 people and it's a piece of paper, right? Right, totally. So that doesn't really do much for that artist's career. And a lot of the shows that I book, I'll go at the end of the night to the whoever, and I'll say, so how many tickets do we sell? And he'll be like, oh, oh, I lost count. And I'll be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, Exactly. You want to be able to have real, something tangible. It's a real problem. And I think in the COVID world with, uh, you know, you have Save Our Stages doing, you know, lobbying efforts. They, we can't, we don't have a real number to show Congress people of what all these small little independent venues and all these independent musicians have a value to the economy. There's no, there's very little hard data on it. So FanFlex is actually creating that data for that coffee shop artist from day one, right? Because their five fans went through the app, put it in there, and now they play a 10 person show, a 15 person show. And six months later, they go to you, Zach, and be like, hey, man, I want to get on your bill. You do a really awesome night. You know, I want to get on there. You're like, well, you know, I dig your sound, but how many people can you bring? And they go, well, according to my FanFlex data, in the last six months in this market, I brought this many people and this many people. I do really good on Thursday nights and your nights on Thursdays. Here's my data. And you go, oh, shit. Yeah, let's do it. You know, and totally. And you go in that traditional that's going back to uh you know your opening statement there it's based on you know your facebook followers you could have a million facebook followers but you can't get two people walk in the door this is something that directly correlates with how many people you can bring in and what market on what night and how much they're spending totally and yep yeah and so that then we connect that with your traditional facebook twitter whatever your social media login was as a fan uh, we could just pull that data just like you do with every other you know, data analytics and stuff like that. Um, that data isn't sold. It's, you know, it's for the band to use. Um, you know, we don't spam it or whatever. So now as an artist, you know, the future of FanFlex is now as we're expanding is it's a routing tool for a do-it-yourself musician. I was just going to ask about that because that, that's... I'm going to let Eric elaborate on this, but this is how FanFlex all came about, actually, was initially as a, as a tour routing tool. I def we're definitely going to get to the beginning because I, I want to talk about how this whole thing came together. <laughs> yeah. so, but, but so as a routing tool, you're able, I mean, you're, you're, able, to hit, you're able to go to markets confidently, especially if, it's, if there's a long drive or travel or whatever it is you're able to confidently go and know that you're likely going to have people showing up essentially. Well, right. yeah, and then actually, this is, this is we, want, we want Amplex to be embraced by, by everyone in the business, right? We don't want to have any pushback from, you know, like you're saying, the promoters or from the talent buyers or from the, or from the managers. And, you know, we've had managers come to us saying that, you know, we're driving from Nashville to LA. Do you guys have any venues that you guys work with along the way that we can, you know, that have any nights that are available, any time slots that are available, so we can tie everything up? And totally, you know, that way it definitely would work as a tour riding aspect. And you know, so to your point about you know, stopping somewhere and hoping 
you could make money there. Fanflex takes the risk out of it. Because of this threshold settings, okay, another unique part about Fanflex is typically venues are the ones that set the thresholds on our platform. Again, the artist gets 100% of the money, so it's not pay to play, but it's just a way to filter out if there's five artists trying to get the same time slot. It's like, well, did you, did you meet the threshold, right? So it's just totally. accountability uh, for accountability purposes. What we've seen in that situation where you are traveling is you can set your threshold higher, you know, and we had that with, uh, we played, we did some shows at Analog in Nashville where we partnered with Home, uh, helping our music evolve. Great totally, love, yep. Love them, great, love Logan, great organization. Um, but you had some of those musicians who had pro band members, right? You have to pay your drummer 200 bucks to play your show, right? So they had some hard costs. So that was the best example of the flex ticketing and flex thresholds that our platform has done to date because there was five or six acts that played. They all had different ticket pricing. They all had different thresholds because they all need to hit their own minimum for it to be profitable for them, right? And for the totally. side of things, they don't really care until people start hitting whatever threshold so they know they're booked, right? So we had an artist was like, well, I need to make 500 bucks or, or I make zero. I don't get five hundred dollars at the end of the night. I'm out of pocket. I, I can't play. Exactly. So they set it for you know twenty five people at twenty bucks. You know, another person was like, I'm a solo artist. I'll do five dollars for ten people, so I can just get fifty bucks and pay for you know my Uber. You know, and some totally big money. So that okay. allows to take the risk out of it from the artist side, which we felt pay to play and just the nature of the business and john could talk about you know from a talent buyer perspective you know about just you know you get even as a promoter yourself you're probably getting so many unsolicited messages of like hey book me book me book me well with fanflex it takes that that time and energy away you know because you can just be like yeah we use fanflex you know we have available night on thursday check it out and then the artist goes and tries to hit that threshold. So if the artist was all talk, you know, and doesn't hit the threshold. It'll come through. You'll see. And, but yeah, but also from, from the staffing side of things, uh, from the venue perspective, it's like, you know, I might need a second bartender, but now I can see how many tickets were sold through the app and I can schedule accordingly. And also, though, if, if, um, if an artist doesn't meet that threshold that Eric was talking about, it's the venue's right of first refusal, right? They can cancel the show with uh, three days ahead or because they, you know, fans are paying for the, for the talent, I might just let the show go on. And as we've seen, it's like 99% of the time the venue's okay with it because, you know, they're filling in for those empty time slots or they're just happy to have, say, you know, seven people even though they didn't hit that 10 threshold. Right, totally. The door and have that music playing. And, that, yeah. and there's something else you said, which is, you know, having, making sure you have that extra bartender on staff, which is something for me where it's like, if, if I'm getting a percentage of the bar at a club or whatever it is that I'm promoting and they understaff the bar, that's always frustrating to me because it's like, we're leaving money on the table here. Like I'm seeing the line and people walking away. You know, likewise, if, if the bar is overstaffed, I feel bad about that also. And it's like, they're paying something they shouldn't be paying. So, 
that totally makes sense. The other thing I think is really cool is I think for new artists, you're kind of figuring out how much can I play in my hometown in whatever market without oversaturating the market. That's and you kind of do this balance of like, you want to keep, you want to play enough so people remember you, but if you play too much, people might stop showing up and it gets boring. I mean, this totally allows you to sort of test how much you should be playing in a market w without, you know, playing empty nights and pushing it too far and then, you know, pulling that. Well, that's, that's one of the things that we've seen is we, we have close to 100% uh, percent retention rate with, you know, the artists that are on the platform, meaning that they, they will play a second show or a third show or a fourth show. And we have some that are very eager to play, you know, back-to-back -back shows on back-to-back -back weeks at different venues. But because it's in the same market or sometimes even in the same neighborhood, there is that steady decline going down. And that's another thing that they can track with their analytics. Uh, and, and on top of that, they can also track the, the pricing. So, you know, one thing that we see with artists that are starting to grow on the platform is with that data, you know that, oh, I did a $5 show but I, and I sold out. I killed it. Mm -hmm. Yes. Now I go $20 and it's empty. I'm like, crap. You know, so, uh, or rather, instead of it being empty, you actually don't flex your show so you actually have no, no cost, no, no, no loss. So now you know, like, oh, maybe it should be $10. And so it gives you without taking that risk and showing up to an empty venue and, and whatnot, you can actually kind of start learning what your fans are willing to pay and grow that. Um, or maybe you get paid more on a Monday night, you know, than a Friday night. I don't totally. know until you see the data. And then, Zach, initially we had done a couple case studies at the very beginning where we asked the artist to just put down like a two or three dollar ticket, which, you know, is almost tantamount to uh, to one of those Facebook, what's it called, Eric? It's like uh, RSVP. You're, yeah, you basically RSVP that you're going to go. Now, because the people just put down two dollars, you're getting your fans basically you're grooming them to now pay you for you know the service that you're providing and because the you know two dollars you know what's two dollars won't even buy you a coke these days but they're still more likely to come now than if they RSVP right. yes you know totally. you're just going to RSVP yes because you don't want to be rude to your friend that's performing but when you actually put two dollars down now there's even though it's only two dollars you've got something on the table mentally there's something saying, at okay, stake I'm, totally now I'm going to show up Hey everyone, thanks for listening and hope you're enjoying the show. Some of you may know that I run an industry newsletter called The Nashville Briefing. It really takes you to the front row of everything happening in our industry. And if you want to learn more about it, you can go to nashvillebriefing.com to subscribe. Also, if you're enjoying this show and specifically this episode, please feel free to give us a five-star review on your podcast listening platform. Thanks so much. Now back to the show. Okay, let's go back. So, Eric, let's go to the beginning. We, we, we know where we are. Let's go back in time. Eric, you, um, you, you've been a production manager for 15 years. You've done crazy events like the Grammys, Super Bowl, multiple Super Bowls, multiple Grammys. How, you, you started interning at Sony, and then did you go into production management right after that? So, yeah, so, yeah, so Sony, take it back two more years. So John and I went to college together, UC Santa Oh, wow. So I've known John for over 20 years now. We've been friends. What did you guys um, study? 
I did political science. I don't know what John did. <laughs> <laughs> Business, but you know, UCSB is also known. You know as, something uh, funny about political I'm not, science? I'm not going to say what it's known for, but. I, I don't know a political science major who has gone into politics. Like, I'm sure they're out there. I'm sure there's a ton of them. But in my life, the only people I know who studied political science have gone into entertainment, including my brother, actually. <laughs> well, you know what I learned, actually, in political science, the major was no way in hell I want to be a politician. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just not that douchey. Like, I'm not, I can't lie like the people. <laughs> you know, I just, I just was like, but I got the degree because I had to get a degree. Uh, or my parents would have my head. So, you know, uh, but so we met uh, there and while in college, I joined the program board and UC Santa Barbara has a great program board, um, books, amazing shows. Uh, I still go back and talk to the students uh, as much as I can. And it was such a unique city because it's right between LA and San Francisco, right? So if you're on tour, you have to drive through Santa Barbara. There's no way around it. Like, right, totally. So back then, this was before, um, not before the internet, but before, you know, this is back when Polestar was still a magazine that we had to like scroll through, you know, the big old fat books and, you know, and check tour routing, you know. And when we saw there was a band that was big with like a couple dates in between, we called them up, you know, we're like, hey, what are you doing for three days in between LA and San Francisco? We know your tour bus is on a month rate or weekly rate. We know your crew is getting paid weekly. We know right. you're paying for hotels this night anyways. Why don't you come play for a little bit less in Santa Barbara? And, and you would just get the information, you'd call the agent or, or who yeah. would you call? Yeah, the agent, yeah. Like so CAA, William Morris, um, you know, uh, a lot of these agencies, I don't know if they still do, they had college specific um, agents. You know, they, totally, they yeah, yeah. Managed the booking uh, uh, the college market, right? And so we got to know them really, really well. And, you know, just when I was there, we had Bob Dylan, Incubus, 311, George Clinton. Uh, you know, I booked Bone Thugs and Harmony, you know, like, just because we knew they were in LA and San Francisco was like, why not come play here? Right. You know? Totally. And that's how FanFlex the idea started 20 years ago. So it's been in my head that long. Like there's gotta be a way to figure out what is that not secondary market, but maybe that tertiary market that, you know, what's that fourth city on the list and how do you better route? Because a booking agent has all their feelers out in all the major cities. We know you're playing Austin, we know you're playing LA, we know you're playing Seattle, like all these cities. But like, what are those in-between ones? Like, is it Fresno? Like, if you're going to LA, right, San Francisco? Totally. I don't, I mean, maybe. You know, I remember my little brother was going to San Luis Obispo and Nine Inch Nails played there. You know, like it was just like a random thing. And it was, I'm like, so there is a, a tool needed for this to find those elements because you know, between Staples Centers and the Cow Palaces and Oracle Arena, there's some dates in between that you may play, you know, Rabobank Arena and Bakersfield, you know, um, and stuff like that. Um, so on the smaller levels where FanFlex comes in, you know, so what are those 300 capacity and below venues in between the ones you already know in the major markets? And that's how the totally. idea And so about five years ago, John and I were at Coachella together, 
and it was one of those things where it's like two in the morning uh you know we're sitting talking about the music world and the business world where we're at and john's i'll let him talk about uh investing but i was telling this idea i'm like there's got to be a better way to do this you know and even on the festival side of things like you know summer festivals had turned into a summer tour basically like you just hit all the festival stops right totally you know so on the more regional and localized part of it like those entry-level stages those are all different for every city so how do we best get those acts so we're just talking and then i'll let john take it from there because yeah. uh this is where he comes in so i mean everything that he was telling me totally made, made sense but on my level you know, the one thing that really grabbed me is, well, you're basically telling me that I can be sure that the band that I'm hiring and that I'm paying for is going to be bringing people in. Wait, and what were you doing at the time? So I, right after college, I got into real estate in a boring commercial brokerage. And uh, around 2007, 2008, I invested in a restaurant in New York. That What I restaurant? Owned. It's called Il Mato. It was on the corner of White and Church in Tribeca, right across from the Tribeca Grand. But it's not and, there anymore? Uh, so I sold that to my partner that was the chef there because I was out there about a week out of every month trying to operate it, also doing my real estate thing here. And it was totally. just it got very tedious. I mean, I'd go I'm in New York work. right now. Are they doing takeout? No, <laughs> <laughs> they, they closed down oh, about they... five years ago. Oh, okay, but gotcha. I the restaurant... In New York at the time, uh, two guys back when that there there was the uh, you know the market crash two thousand eight you know the bubble burst. Uh, two guys from the Marcus and Millichap office in L.A., which is a company I was working for down in Orange County, uh, got into uh, well started a group called Eureka Burger. So they opened the first one in Redlands and the second one in Claremont. Now we've got twenty six, but they started asking people from within the company that. Either they knew had an interest in the re in the restaurant business, or had some extra money to spend to start investing in, in their expansion. And so I got in. Actually, I think it was their fourth one, which was in Bakersfield. And then after that, I, I stayed on board. So now, like I said, I've been to a Eureka Burger actually. What's that? I'm talking to I've, one of the owners. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> so much the more Eureka than like you know, this is a Eureka Burger story. <laughs> So yeah, Eureka Burger, you know, the business model there was to go into, you know, small markets that didn't have much going on as far as nightlife and as, as far as restaurant selection and, you know, make it like a one-stop shop that you'd come in, have a full flight of beers or whiskey, have a great hamburger, and then listen to some music. Uh, now the same thing with the restaurant in New York and then my, my uh, family had some Italian restaurants as well where you're hiring people for two, 300 bucks a night to come in and, and play the music. But like I said, all you'd be doing is basically paying for some background music. There's no real energy there and you're, you're paying out free drink tickets to the band members. When Eric said, you know, you dropped this band flex bomb on me and after a few beers, I'm like, wow, this sounds amazing. And then when I sobered up, it sounded even better. And after that, it was history. So we- Okay, we, so- we Go ahead. So Eric drops this idea on you and you sober up and you're like, yeah, that, that's actually like, in the morning when you've, you've had some drinks, but what, you know, you know, it's a really great idea is when you wake up in the morning, you have, you have some sober thoughts on it. And I'm like, wow, actually this could really work. And totally. Yeah. So, so, and then how quickly are you like, do you team up? Like, like what's the next step to sort of make this, like, 
do you test it somehow? Like how, how do you start working we on it? Right away in the sense that I wanted to make sure that, you know, we wanted to make sure that the domain name was, was, was taken, you know, we needed to trademark everything. And then we, you know, slowly started to see if, if this thing had legs, we did a couple of case studies. Uh, we, we got an app developer, developed the app, took our time with it. And then just in the past few years is when we really started putting, uh, you know, the pedal to the metal. So, so then were you still, you were still kind of, were you still working in real estate and, and doing your restaurant business? And then within That's the past right. couple of years, you've right, dropped right. that and pull it together. Yeah. Okay. I had a, you know, a lot of other, uh, well, you know, different verticals, if you will, I like to diversify, you know, the things that I'm investing in. And this happened to tie in perfectly with uh, the restaurant business that I was in. Totally. So what was the first show that got flexed? So uh, it was Mickey Avalon. Uh, have you heard of Mickey Avalon? No, I haven't. <laughs> oh, oh we got to send you. You're just, a bright, just Google it. Have fun. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Wait, give me yeah. a little context. He's like a, uh, he's a national touring act. Okay, so part of the case studies, so let me take a step back. Part of the things was to see if this thing had legs, was who can it work for? How do shows get flexed? What, what, what are we really building here in terms of who's gonna be our, our bread and butter? Who, who do we need to go after first? And being in the, production world and touring world and I had done I had done many of shows across the country uh, with Mickey Avalon and I and I went to him because he had a really loyal fan base that was fanatic right and I was like hey you know you usually play thousand person venues at 10 15 dollars a ticket what if there was a hundred and fifty person venue and you could charge forty dollars a ticket and or what if there's a 150% venue where you can keep it at $10, $15 a ticket, but using our FanFlex technology, we could have you book a limo to the show with your fans, your super fans, at $400 a pop, which is what he did. Fan premiums. And then what, one of the things you have to understand about Mickey is that his performance involves uh, dancers. You know, so it was like people get to ride on limo with the dancers yeah. and, and do the whole show thing because you have to have he needed a transportation to the show anyways. So how do we monetize that? And so part of FanFlex, which we don't talk about much, is these fan premiums. So it's not merch, it's not tangible anything, but it's experiences. And there's a lot of like VIP and meet and greet things that exist. Um, so we're not trying to really tackle that market, but we've always believed that if you're with FanFlex from the beginning and you're building super fans, using our still the same flex technology, you should be able to leverage some of those opportunities. So for instance, with the with Mickey Avalon, it was the limo ride to the show doesn't happen unless four people buy it. So we set the threshold at four. So that way he goes- hard costs of the limousine and everything. Right, totally, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he wanted to walk with like a thousand dollars profit on it. So it needed to be at that dollar, okay? but you can't have more than eight. So you put a cap on it because you can only fit so many people, okay? So we did that. And then when you add up the ticket sales, you add up, we did like a party bus. We did all these things. And he ended up walking with like $5,000 when he's usually a $2,500 to $3,500 artist. Totally. So we, 
So that was the case study that we proved that bigger level acts with managers, with agents can support what we're trying to do. So that was like case study one. And it was at a venue, the standing room, which is a burger joint in Hermosa Beach, very much similar to what John knew, and they had a stage. Um, the standing room's owned by Jason Barron, and his partner is uh, the guitarist of Pennywise. I forget what the, the guy's name is. Okay, so it was a musician. So they all understood what we were trying to do, and it was a great first thing. Okay, so we're like, great, that worked. Now we're like looking at, okay, the second case study, which was like six months later. Again, the timeline was spread out because John and I were doing other things. We totally. started to see like, all right, before we go all in, let's make sure we can do a couple things. So the other thing we came up with on the case study uh, was can multiple artists flex a bigger venue, right? And this is kind of like even on the festival side, does it work for that? So we had a sound stage, uh, LA River Studios in LA. They were doing a private event um, that wanted to use our time slide time slot kind of technology, you know, but none of these artists that we were using could fill an 800 person room, right? But if four of them all bring 100 to 200 people. It's gonna it, work. It's, it could work in that sense because there's an event around it. There, it was like a studio launch, there was other activities going on. So all these people are gonna stay and not just go for that one show and then bounce which is what we see like when we work at the Viper Room and stuff like that, you know, that eight o'clock, you know, time slot, not all the fans stay and that's fine, you know, and the ones that do, that's just icing on the cake. But right, totally. We work where we keep fans there and leverage a bunch of smaller artists into a bigger play. And so it worked. Um, and then the third case study we did was we took an established venue in LA, I think it was Genghis Cohen, um, Great and Chinese food. Right? <laughs> yeah, so uh, great spot. It's right on Fairfax, heart of Hollywood. Good food, but they got that little back area. So right, again, totally, yeah. Again, I gig there. I've played gigs in that room. <laughs> exactly, right? And so it was very much what John also knew. It's a restaurant. They got this little offshoot little stage on the side. Their main business is selling food and drink, but they also have live music, right? Right, totally. So that's, John understood that, those economics, uh, which I think we can talk about later, but COVID, I think it's very particular in the feature of this. But anyways, so then we took this artist, uh, I think her name was like Carly, right? And this is again another six months to maybe even a year go by before we could like, okay, let's do another one of these things, you know? Um, and it was like, this girl's never played a live show ever, right? And she could never get into Genghis Khan because Genghis Khan was very old school, traditional, where it was like, you know, here's uh, 10 tickets. I don't know if it was pay to play. I can't remember. But it was, there's the dude with the, at the door, chicken scratching at the front, you know, and there's a traditional talent buyer, uh, which I think is the owner's wife. Uh, I, I forget again, you know, but it was very traditional. And we're like, look, it, just give us a couple weeks and a week before the show, we'll tell you if this artist has enough people to make it worth your while. Totally. And they're like, well, who's this artist? We're like, her name's Carly. Here's her one song she has on YouTube. And just give us a chance. And sure enough, 
they wanted to make sure she brought like 10 people and she brought like 25 or whatever because it was like a first show and here it was that we proved that no name artist number one with never doing a show no fan base no social media if she hustles she could play in hollywood right right totally and that was the third case study and that's where we realized that that was our bread and butter and i think we started really understanding the beauty of fanflex and how it could work for independent venues so not live nation not aeg owned not much more than 300 cap you know we, our bread and butter is 300 cap and below and for independent musicians you know that do-it-yourself mentality you know typically below agent level um, sometimes below manager level but that was where we really like the spark came off like oh this is something this could work because for every taylor swift that the music industry has learned how to monetize and you know i did a taylor swift show when she was 15 at daughter stadium you know i've done lady gaga shows. i've done all these big artists that part the music industry's figured out how to make right totally off of them what they haven't figured out is how to monetize the non-taylor swifts and in that like google fractions of sense mentality we realized and say they were the venue side we realized that if we could aggregate all these small little things we have a business model okay and that's where we really you know as john said earlier you know um put the pedal to the, to the metal and like really started okay this is where we're going you know totally. you know it works for the bigger artists and these unique things that we were pulling off and potentially for festival stages and like and that's down the road but can we get hundreds and hundreds of musicians playing shows every single night at every single dive bar 300 cat below independently owned you know where the talent buyers the managers the lead chef is you know can we help these people and can we help musicians get their career going at their own pace at their own hustle that is authentic that is got integrity that believes in the the passion of live playing live and you know there's that you know you're a promoter but there's a lot of like you know shady promoters or shady people they like you know they're like oh yeah you brought two people and you're like no i, I yeah I, right no I, I see 30 people and they're like no it was two and they pay you for two you know right you Is there, and what can you do you can't do anything about it as Eric mentioned, you know, for every Taylor Swift, you know, there's a million non-Taylor Swifts, you know, for every thousand person capacity venue, there's a th more than a thousand non, right? And uh, for these non-traditional music venues that might have a small stage, uh, you know, there's, there's a manager or there's an owner that wears different hats, right? They're the ones that right, are totally. looking up artists that are answering all these unsolicited emails and phone calls from these artists looking to perform. Now, uh, FanFlex has 5,000 plus artists that we've vetted. We know that they're you know, legit musicians that have talent, uh, different genres, of course, but you know it's not gonna be some kid you know, playing Guitar Hero in his living room that wants to go up on stage for the first time. What's the vetting so, process? Like if I, if I wanna join and be a FanFlex artist, how, how do I get vetted? So we have uh, artist reps on our team, okay, um, which is, typically a great intern position and as artists sign up they go check out their socials right uh they see if they've played or not they just make sure they're legit 
you can right. get a sense pretty quickly. Absolutely. Right. You know, um, and that way, you know, you just can't sign up. You can't spam or hack like the app in terms of like putting a non show in there because we have a human filter system, which I believe I think in the world of tech, we are really strong proponents of people and communicating. And, you know, like I mentioned, the intern, you know, we have interns that their job is to just talk to the musicians on our platform, get to know them, like just, just talk to them, you know, right, and totally. it's great for them to hear all the perspectives of struggling musicians or musicians that are working on their career. What are their pain points? So it's a great learning process. And I would think back to the time of like when my friends were interns at labels or at, um, you know, different parts of the industry where their job was to go to like Blockbuster or Tower and set up the little displays, you know, that, that, that was the internship and kids loved it. And so like, I feel like that's what we're trying to bring back to that music business is like these young motivated, you know, individuals that want to get their foot in the door, that want to just learn and experience music and check out new stuff and share cool things they're finding. And that's what we're given the opportunity to do. But it also allows for that human element. And all these artists are like, wow, thanks for what you're doing. You know, and one of those kids is going to end up managing a band. Like, you know, it's going to happen. Yeah, the one girl we have doing Twitter just got picked up, you know, and do another Twitter now because, like, she's talking to bands. And like, oh, can you do my Twitter? Uh, she's like, yeah. We're like, great. There, your music. In Boom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah I remember back in the 90s, like I said, my, my folks used to own restaurants. But, you know, musicians used to drop by their CDs. Right. So I remember just going in the office there'd be a stack of CDs and, you'd, you know, people, you'd listen to them. You're like, okay, I think he might be good for like Tuesday night or, you know, Thursday right. night or whatever. And, but even back then, obviously there is a huge disconnect between the supply and demand and the supply being, you know, the available time slots that we had and the demand, the demand being uh, the artists that wanted to play. And, you know, FanFlex is just a great tool that alleviates that stress between the two. As well totally. as there's a, there's a lack of time. Because even when I was booking talent for UC Santa Barbara, I can't listen to that many CDs. I just don't have right. the time. And it's not because I don't love music. I don't want to give that person the chance. It's just humanly impossible to do it. Like, I don't have that many hours of the day. Totally. You know, and we talked to, you know, I forget which venue it was in Nashville that's on our platform. Was The owner was like, poor guy, man. He was like 60 years old. He's trying to listen to their music, looking up their socials, and trying to figure out if this is the right, you know, fit. And we're like, dude, just drop it. Like, you want country, folk, Americana? Set that genre restriction. Say they got to bring 20 people and just let FanFlex do it. Because at the end of the day, you just want someone that can play, that brings people, that the fans enjoy. You know, and I like to use the example of Dave Matthews. For, I love know. Dave Matthews. All right. So there's a couple of different tangents that I want to go off on Dave Matthews is one is I'm not a jam band fan. Like I'm not, I don't like fish. Like I, I and I don't like Dave Matthews. I, I, I like him as a person. I like the music generally, 
But like, I would not go to a Dave Matthews show. Like, Dave Matthews is one of those artists that for as big as he is, as many people love him, there's a lot of like hate around Dave. I'm not saying you hate him, but he's people he's like hate Dave Matthews. This is where Eric and I would disagree. You know, I think Dave Matthews is one of like the best live performers ever, I think. See, I'm with you, but I'm biased because in high school, my buddies and I, we would, we would load up the car and we would drive five, six hours to Dave Matthews concerts. We'd tailgate, we'd all like crash in a two bed, like five of us would be in like a two bed hotel room we'd sneak in so they wouldn't see it. like i've got so many memories around dave matthews so i'm like a biased dave matthews fan total tangent right. right there but hey cool. I, but, but see there's that that's where i agree like in the sense that like there's something on this right grateful dead people totally follow grateful dead fish they follow fish everywhere it's the community it's more than the it's more exactly. than the music you're hearing there are better bands i guess in theory but it's like it just feels like you're part of something bigger. I think that's what they tap into. And so that's what we're trying to bring at every venue. Because if you ask any musician, yourself included, would you rather play a thousand person venue with 200 people in it? Or would you rather play a 50 person venue that's got 65 over capacity, like spilling on your stage, like- Right, totally. Right? So I'm not, I'm not uh, promoting going over capacity. I don't think it's safe, fire marshal, you know, but- what I am saying is we want every show to be packed. So finding that music. So if you're this guy in Nashville who's trying to find these right bands, I'm like, look it, you know, maybe that's not the, the band you personally wanted, but they're bringing all these people and FanFlex allows to prove that, you know, then they're going to have a great time at your venue. They're going to have a great time buying because they love this band. So totally. if it's Dave Matthews, right? And they're, and you don't like Dave Matthews, but they bring people, then you're a live music venue. Like, let it be. Right, totally. And so then on the other side of it, here comes the analytics. And I think the bigger play for FanFlex in terms of A&R is right now, um, managers, labels, agents, you know, all these, you know, verticals in the business need to find new talent, right? And there's looking on YouTube, there's XYZ, there's this is my friend's band, whatever. But what FanFlex is also doing, which I think is gonna be a very, very valuable asset as we grow, is we identify when you do five tickets, 10 tickets, I see the line first. There's no one else in the industry that can tell you that initial growth. Totally. You know? So we find it first. And then the other thing which I think is unique is on a macro view, if someone's doing 50 people a show that may not hit any, you know, radar of anyone in the business that's looking 50, oh, they're only doing 50, no big deal. But what FanFlex can see is they do 50 every time. And that's what Dave Matthew was doing in, was it North Carolina or South Carolina? Uh, North Carolina, yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I, you see, uh, you're, the, you're the super fan, so I don't want to mess up the state that he's from. North Carolina, yeah, yeah. yeah but he's right? from South Africa. It's like, it's like. Okay, maybe that's where I got the South part in it, you know? Like, <laughs> just combine the two. But, so, that being said, he was doing 100 people every time he played. And totally. they realized, they're like, well, can we duplicate this somewhere else? Let's just find out. And they did another place. And he brought 100 people. And they're like, oh, wow, let's try another place. 100 people. And they're like, we may be onto something. So I think FanFlex also does that, where we identify like that, that person doing the residency 
you know, once a month, you know, and they're always selling out. And we could go into the, for that artist and go, have you tried playing anywhere else yet? You know? Right, totally. And so it's another NR tool in that sense that that data doesn't exist right now in the marketplace as an early identifier. Uh, I think it's a valuable uh, data set for bigger people in industry and just for us in general. so I, I'm really proud of that kind of element of it too. And I think also something I see working with bands is I'll book a band in Nashville and we'll sell four or 500 tickets. And then I'll see that band travel from you know, Nashville, they'll do Philly, they'll do New York, Boston, they'll go, they'll, they'll, they'll go, they'll go all over the place selling you know, three, four, 500 tickets. And the agent like, doesn't believe it. They're like, well, how is this? Like, I don't, I don't believe it. And then I'll tell them, oh no, five, four, 500 tickets we sold in Nashville. And they'll be like, oh, well, like, where's the proof? Or like, where's, like, and I was like, well, here are the photos. But like, they don't believe it. S- similarly, I was booking another band across the country. We were selling 50 to 100 tickets in 30 different markets, which is good for a young band on the rise. And no agent was able to take them seriously. Eventually, they did get signed with an agency. But it took them forever to actually show that there was traction happening in Iowa or, like, or you know, the middle of nowhere. Nobody was seeing the data, like you said, at that level. So to be able to present that data as fact, is critical for some of these bands, right? That's what we're looking for. We're trying to create facts in the music business, you know, and there's always going to be that, that I've got a hunch. There's, if music is internal, there's like a soul, there's a spirit to it. So I got a hunch and go, so be it. But there also needs to be some data to it because that little band that you're talking about was doing 50 tickets in 30 markets. They need a chance. Totally. Luckily, they got that chance. Hopefully, before it wasn't too late, they waited. But you know. Well, now now they're on pause. They like they just got it, and we went like. (laughs) But if it was if they they had done it three years ago when they were doing it, maybe they could have stuck it and it could have grown. You know, so like Danflex gives that that chance, and that's another one of those philosophical things about what we're doing and what we try to you know promote in the culture of Fanflex and everyone that talks about us is giving like, taking all the roadblocks out you know in an ethical way um it works for venues okay they don't want to deal with settling they don't want to you know cover charges really just cover their ass in the first place anyways so if we could guarantee that their ass is covered then they have no problem giving the ticket money directly to the artist and they are happy not to fill out 1099 forms with the artist that got 40 bucks at the end of the night right you know totally so or i9 forms for their 1099s but yeah you know so we're simplifying it across the board allowing people to make money across the board and it's all ethical and allowing people to just follow their passion you know to wait so okay so before we run out of time i yeah. really want to talk about how this plays in now during covid and then i think as we start to come out of this we're, all, we're already seeing this, but the first venues we're going to be in is clubs. We're not going to be in stadiums for a minute is what it feels like. We're going to be in clubs. Like, I think this is an amazing time for a new act to break because, because the only option is the small level venues and Kenny Chesney is not going to play a 50-person club, most likely. So wh- how is this going to be used moving forward? You know, should artists be on it now? Should they be on it in six months? Like, like what's, what's the future of this look like? John, you want to talk about the, the yeah. So the way the way that I well the way that I see it going is it's going to be well, 
you know, right after this, it's going to revert more to the golden years, if you will, like 1920s of like a dinner and a show, right? Totally. So, or like a sit, you're sitting down having a drink and watching because it's going to be table service only with that social distancing. If you're sitting at the bar, you have to have a seat at the bar. You can't just belly up anymore. You're not going to be elbow to elbow. So it's going to go back more to, to that kind of a show, which I personally, going back to me just coming from Vegas, it was just lounges. And we went to lounges and saw live music, sitting down, having drinks with friends. And you can actually talk a little bit and see a, a great performer. And I think artists should be on it now, absolutely. And the artists that have played shows with us in the past and new artists that are signing up, we have a list of artists that are ready to play as soon as these restrictions end. And during the lockdown, we had our developers come up with our version 1.5 that allows venues now to get onto the uh, platform and upload the dates that they think they're gonna be reopening or when they actually do reopen so that those artists that are ready to play can see those dates and fill those dates immediately. And you know, we've had, depending on it's such a fluid situation, some cities and some counties are just able right now to uh, open their doors for outdoors and outdoor seating only. And I think that's how it is in California statewide right now. And, you know, other, other states, you still can go in, but it's super limited seating. Nashville, as you know, when they opened up, it was just one singer-songwriter. Right. And that's it. So it's, it's fluid, but this uh, new venue marketplace that we developed during the lockdown allows for the different cities to input their different dates that they're reopening. And, you know, we're going to fill them in those ways. And then how many markets are you guys in right now? So, so I think, go ahead, Eric. Yeah, so the interesting thing about that as well is we were in Orange County in Nashville. Um, and we were going to go to New York, Austin, Chicago kind of next. But because of the lockdown, we just started getting all this demand from all these venues. Like, uh, and, you know, interestingly, um, that dinner and show kind of environment, we started getting demand from venues that are 1,000 cap because when they have the 25% restriction or the half restriction, all of a sudden they're at that level. They're at a they're right. back in the vanguard world, and they're not booking Kenny Chesney. They need to book an act that brings 250 people. You know, right? right? So now all of a sudden our artists are going to be falling into these categories that we feel the sky's the limit. So we actually have expanded rapidly during COVID. You know, surprisingly. Great surprise for us, but like when we talk to different people in the market, you know, in the industry, they're like, how are you expanding right now, not doing shows? We're like, because everyone realizes that we're going to be the essential tool once they can start opening their doors again. Totally. So I think we're in 12 states. Um, you know, I mean, we're in, or tomorrow we're adding one from Wichita, Kansas. You know, we're, we're going to be in Wisconsin. You know, we're um, Kenosha, Wisconsin. Like, I mean, I never would have picked that city, you know, and, Kudos to everyone in Kenosha, but like, you know, we're really excited that that was our dream because we realized that if we could do a hundred shows every single night across the country, then there's something to it. And we're getting closer and closer to that. Um, and we're just ready for things to restart opening. And as John was mentioning, like with Nashville, it was one artist and it was two and now it's coming back to closing doors, you know, like, so we're, we're a little, giving it a little bit of time. You know, like we want to see it working in cities for a little bit before we, you know, turn on the empty time slots with our venues, you know, just so 
you know, they, uh, they test the waters and make sure it's all safe uh, for everyone yeah. involved. So, you know, the reality that we live in is, you know, different states are going to be opening their doors at different times. And uh, we want our artists that we have nationwide to know what states are opening up or at least plan to open up. So we're circling around to, you know, every venue that's on the platform, you know, every week or so just to make sure, you know, just to have our finger on the pulse because, you know, their governor or, you know, their county official could be saying, okay, we're going to be opening up and then dial it back. So what's totally. what was yesterday was old news, you know, so we totally need to things awesome okay so what's the best way to to get involved fanflex.com or download the app fanflex how, how do people what where's the best place for people to go so if you're an artist uh or a venue go to fanflex.com uh, there's uh sign up there's a book now if you go to book now you can see all the venues that are listed as of as of right now uh, and there's more added you know on a daily basis um the ios app is a fan facing platform so that's where the artists create their campaign in there and then present that to their fans so unless you're a, a fan going to you know wanting to go see a band that has told you to download the app you don't necessarily need to download the app the app gotcha. is that technology tool for that independent artist that person that's playing a five-person coffee shop to be able to do digital ticketing and keep track so that's so we don't actually market the app from our perspective. It's the bands that then market the app because that's their, you know, or market uh, the show rather. Yeah, market the show through the you know. Right. Gotcha. Like that, you know, they tell their fans to download the app. You know, flex my show, etc. So everyone should just go to the the website. You know, fanflex.com. It's all there. It's laid yeah. out very clearly. That's There's right. different tabs even if you're an artist, a fan. Uh, venue. It's very self-explanatory. Everyone listening, fanflex.com. Check it out. Get on. Well, guys, this this was so great. Thank, thanks for coming on. I hope we get the chance to meet in person and, and catch a show when when we can together. Any any top club shows that stand out in your mind? Any like what's the best club concert you guys have ever seen? Oh man, I got so many. Top couple. <laughs> so uh I was doing a show at the O2 Arena, and that's not the story. The story is- <laughs> It's gonna be like, that's not a club. <laughs> I know. The story is on one of the off nights, uh, I went to, uh, I think it's called the Abbey 2. Like, it's not the original Abbey. It's the, you have a different one, like the downstairs thing. And I saw a band called IMX. Uh, uh, the lead singer used to be in a band uh, called Sneaker Pimps back in the 90s. So right. it's that kind of genre. And it was everything that I would imagine like a underground, dirty London club to be. It, it blew my expectations away. I mean, there was every walk of life in there. It was disgusting yet awesome. And uh, I loved it. It was like, I just remember having this big smile on my face and those are the kind of experiences that I think FanFlex, like we're doubling down all in that live music is returning. I know like people are going virtual, blah, blah, blah. But if the world doesn't have live music, it's not really a world I want to be in anyway. So like I, that visceral experience, you know, I think about shows like that, you know, being crushed up against the, the, 
the crash barricade at like, you know, a small club show, just like sweating amongst all these people, like, you know, that's got to come back at some point. And that's what totally that community that, that it's just so awesome. And that's what, you know, we're betting on and, and believe in for humanity, I guess, you know, I think, I think for me, I, I, I grew up over in Europe and I came over to uh, the States when I was in high school Oh wow. and I'll never forget my, uh, my first show experience. So I'd never been into, you know, hip hop or anything like that in Italy. It wasn't big back then. And when I moved to uh, Palm Desert with, you know, Coachella, we always had a place out there. One of the first shows I went to was uh, like an E40 Mac 10 concert. And it's just, you know, it was just something that, you know, this uh, little skinny kid from, from Europe coming in and it was just a great experience. It's something completely different. And the energy is just so raw. It was, it was good. It was great. Love it. That's awesome. Well, guys, excited to see where this goes and excited to see this take over after the pandemic. And I think we're going to be hearing about a lot of FanFlex shows moving forward. So get on it now before they block you, before they, before they register you. And TikTok's getting banned anyway, so it's like FanFlex is the new app to be on. Always. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, All right. Thanks, Ed. Fantastic. Thank you. Talk soon. Thanks again for tuning in, and thanks again to Eric and Gian for taking the time to talk. Such a great episode, and I can't wait to get back into the clubs, hopefully with them sometime soon. The Zach Kuhn Show is mixed by Sam Heyman, and our theme music is by Justin Johnson. If you want more content from us, you can subscribe to our newsletter at nashvillebriefing.com, or you can follow us on socials, everything at Nashville Briefing. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you next week. Bye.